Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Province Sports Podcast. Welcome to the White Towel Podcast. It's uh, Ben Kuzma, Canucks beat writer, along with my colleague, columnist Ed Willis. Uh, Paul Chabon is AWOL, but that's okay. We'll press on. So much to talk about, Ed. I don't know really where we want to start with, but uh, why don't we talk about the latest development with the hockey club, the uh, reappearance of Brock Besser. What did you see? What did you like? And what concerns you? Well, there uh, some encouraging signs. I think, especially as the game went on, he was a little better. I didn't think he was he was engaged at all in in, in the first period. It, it's a real interesting one to me because there's this presumption that he really is a legitimate first liner, thirty goal guy. You know, a guy who just like fill, fills that spot. I'm just not sure if he is. I just haven't seen it a lot. Um, I mean, he wasn't going great before he went down. Now he's back in the lineup. If he is that guy, it changes a lot of things. That top six, you know, with him, with the fully productive Brock Besser, changes a lot of things for the Canucks. I'm just not sure if he's that guy. What do you think? No, I think it's a legitimate concern. I've had so many discussions uh, with Brock Besser about his skating, how that explosiveness that we saw in year one well, he would not only gain the zone, he would go around the net, he'd look for options, maybe passing options, or he'd wheel into the dot and just let that ripper go. And it was heavy and it was accurate. And you talk to anybody who's had a back injury, uh, that there's so many things at play here. And I, I don't know whether that Clutterbuck hit is still bugging him to this very day because we just don't seem to see the same player. And when you've got something bugging you down there, whether it's scar tissue or whatever, and you plant and suddenly that shot isn't as zippy as it used to be or it's going over the net, that's a concern. The bigger concern, to me, is he getting there? I mean, doing something off the rush. I mean, Horvat and Tanev are not going to be in your 4 by 100 relay team, but they skate pretty well. He can't keep pace with them. And what I saw was them kind of waiting for Brock to get across the blue line with them so they don't go offside. That It's a concern. Um the one good thing I did see, I thought he had a trio of second period chances that were really good against the Islanders. But we have to look at this thing in the big picture. Maybe some of it has to do with coming back. You know, he didn't really have a practice. I mean, the Canucks are in a place now where, A, they don't practice or they're traveling or they have a day off. So he maybe he could have benefited from two or three practices during the week. But the Canucks, the sense of urgency, they had to get him back in there. He's, I guess, a relatively quick healer. But when you look at what they really need down the stretch, um, they're going to need a, a more engaged guy. And they're going to need a guy who has to be better than 9% shooting accuracy when he has the puck. Uh, that, that really concerns me. Yeah, uh, they can't wait for him. And the thing is, they've got options on the right side now because, look, old friend Zach McEwen is all of a sudden finding the net. And, and you know, he's turning that, like the looks of that third line, who knew that, you know, he was going to get, you know, fit in as well as he had because I, you know, there's two of the last three games 
they've been different makers uh, in, in Canucks wins. So, you know, there's that, and, you know, and, uh, you know, Vertanen has kind of been marginalized here. And I'm not, I'm, I haven't seen a real drop off in his play. It's, it's just more the opportunities he's getting into Foley. Everybody can see what he's doing. So, uh, you know, it's really up to, up to Besser to, 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 you know, fight his way in and, you know, fight for his spot. Yeah, and prove that yeah. he's that guy we saw, you know, in his in his full rookie year up up until that back injury. Right. Uh, well, before Besser came back, the big mystery for me, and it still remains a mystery to me, is Jake Vertanen. I mean, Erickson would start, yeah, with Horvat and Pearson, and we'd start start the clock. How long is it going to take before Jake gets a look in the top six? And he does, and he plays at pace. Uh, he's ringing shots off the bar. He's letting some howitzers go. He's more responsible in his own zone. He's making better decisions with the puck because he's really been hounded, not so much by Travis Green. JT Miller has taken him under his wing and said, you know what, you remind me a lot of me. Hmm. First round pick, couple snot-nosed kids, thought they knew everything, had to spend some time in the A and really, uh, you know, suck it up and learn how to play a complete game. Uh, the mystery to me is Jake Vertanen has 18 goals. He's a restricted free agent with arbitration rights. Mm-hmm. You know as well as I do, he gets to 20. And an independent arbiter who would know a hockey puck from a basketball will look at 20 goals and other guys of the similar stature and age, and suddenly Jake's getting a nice, big, fat raise. Uh, that kind of mystifies me with a guy who can do something in your top nine mix is constantly playing a fourth-line role. And uh, I don't know if there's still a trust issue between the coach and the player. You'd like to think after all this time. Yeah. That Jake has done everything he could have possibly been asked to do and be effective. Because whether he's been playing with Horvat or playing with Pedersen, I've seen the one thing that Jake can do right off the hop is keep pace. Secondly, when the spirit moves him, he can hurt you. And he's got an underrated shot. When he comes down the wrong wing, Mm -hmm. the left side, and cuts to the net, man, he's dangerous. So uh, that's an interesting uh, consideration about how this right side is not only going to shake out down the stretch here, but if they don't make the playoffs, what are they going to do? I think Zach McEwen has really established himself as an NHL player. The goal he got against the Islanders started with absolutely destroying a guy in the forecheck and getting to the front of the net and tipping home a goal. Gaudette did the same thing. I mean, uh, McEwen had, you know, four hits as well. He's got five goals in 17 games. I mean, it's, it's not, uh, you know, Art Ross territory, but for what they want from that line, and Travis Green talked about it. After the game said, I wanted to play that line more about the matchup situations. I didn't get them out there as much. But, man, when you're trying to get to the postseason and you can take some heat off your top six mm-hmm. mix by throwing that line out there. And I think part of it is I wrote about this you know, the other day about Roussel. It's taken Roussel this long to get over that knee surgery. Suddenly he's got the giddy up. He's not reaching. He's not taking stupid penalties in the ozone. He's playing with some pace and some urgency. So... Um, the right side is going to be uh, a real examination point for us, especially if they don't make the playoffs. What do you do with Jake? Uh, how, how is that going to configure? You're going to have some problems on your back end I think you need to address. But really, how's your right side going to shake out? That leads let, 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 well. Let's segue into our next topic of conversation. Then everybody's favorite topic: the coronavirus. Something I never thought of mm-hmm. until somebody pointed out to me: if they start playing in front of empty fans, 
and and look, we can. There's about a million ways you can come at that, but I just want to introduce this because it's yeah. something I never thought of, and it might be worth talking about. What's they start playing in front of empty fans. What's that do to the salary cap? What does that do to revenues? They were talking about an 88 million cap. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, that would have alleviated a lot of pressure on the Canucks, and I would venture to say, if 15 other teams around the NHL who are tight to the cap, what happens to that now? It's just, I mean, look, there are about a million variables involved in this new world we're living in with the coronavirus. But I, that was that was an interesting one to me. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really, as I say, salient point because you know San Jose has been really stricken. Uh, Santa Clara County is is looking at gatherings over a thousand people, saying no, we're not going to do that. The Sharks are on a road trip; uh, they don't play at home till next week, so they're kind of doing the day by day analysis of what are we going to do here? Uh, do we are we going to have to actually play in an empty rink? Do we have some leeway with having the other team host us? You can't have a neutral site game; the logistics just don't make that uh, viable, and they're running out of time. You can't really postpone games and say, well, we're going to play them in mid-April. It's playoff time. And yesterday we learned that there's a state of emergency in Colorado, which could affect the Canucks when they get there Friday. It could happen that fast mm-hmm. that they're playing in Denver yep. in the Pepsi Center. And I guess there'll be a lot of room on press row because there's not going to be anybody else there. That that could be a very viable thing. I think the interesting thing from the players' perspective, and uh, this kind of really resonated with me, on Sunday we still had access to the room, Sunday morning, game day skate. Uh, Bo Horvat, a lot of the players t- talked about how they really understand uh, what's at play from a health perspective. But I was more impressed with how much they understand what we do and the fact that, you know, the team is doing everything it can, uh, creating kind of this press conference environment where at least we have some access to the team at a safe distance. Uh, it kind of got to the point on Tuesday where we not only had the same arrangement after the morning skate, but there was another dressing room where there was a kind of a barrier, and there actually were some one-on-one interviews being conducted at a safe distance. So uh, we're not the story. Uh, We shouldn't be the story, but we've sort of kind of become the story. But I'm really impressed with the players being vigilant and understanding uh, what they have to do on a personal basis to be cautious but understanding what we do as guys who've been around the rink way too long and the fact that we have a job to do and they realize that. Yeah, and like I said, there's just a million entry points into this. You know, you're talking about uh, you know the, the trip to Colorado and like would anybody be surprised if they wake up tomorrow and go, no, we're, we're you know we're locking down the arena. They're gonna it'll be television cameras and broadcast crews and reporters and and that that'll be it. I, I just look at the track this thing is on and, and, and look at what's happening around the rest of the world. I'm, I'm not sure I see it going any other way, but towards that, for how long, I know not. Well, the only thing but, I've been able to glean, at is that from everything I've been reading is that it's only going to get worse before it gets better. And a vaccine, by the time they actually find one and get it federally approved, we're probably talking the late fall before it's readily available to anybody. So I don't know. I mean, next week I'm scheduled to go Anaheim, L.A., Vegas, and the way California is being hit, Mm -hmm. I don't know. My colleagues at other entities are not traveling. They've had their travel cut. They don't want to risk coronavirus uh, infecting anybody, any any workplace or, or any any actual employees. So uh, I know here at uh, at Post Media, especially, especially the province, we're being, you know, I, I'm very vigilant uh, with, with what I do, but 
it's kind of out of my control. I mean, I get onto a plane and I've got a big pack of wet wet ones and I'm I'm ready to wipe everybody down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had that on my last trip. I was sitting there and it was a nice couple sitting beside me and they just regaling me with their trip through s- Southwest or Southeast Asia. And I'm going, pardon? Oh, excellent. And then I turn around and they've got masks on and I got my wet ones out and I did a round two and I wanted to say, don't take this personally, but I kind of like to wipe you down here. So uh, I'm aware of it. I, I think we all are. And... Um, We'll just have to see where it goes from here. I mean, the, the players uh, can't imagine playing before an empty rink. I mean, there was such a raucous uh, atmosphere in the Islander game. I mean, Tyler Toffoli uh, tried to give some levity to the situation. He's saying, well, you know, sometimes you do have empty rinks. I mean, I played in the American Hockey League, and, you know, so I'm, I'm sort of kind of used to it. But there's nothing that, you know, can can replace uh, what what happens on a nightly basis at the NHL level. So uh, it, it's a... It's day to day. It's kind of like uh, check check the injury list. We're all day to day, and uh, we'll do the best we can. Well, yeah. In this case, it's almost hour to hour yeah. too. Like I was I was working on a column yesterday, and you know you get those notifications yeah. on email, and there's a statement from the Columbus Blue Jackets that you know thank you, Governor, for uh, you know for your recommendation that uh, that all events that draw over a thousand people. I uh, shouldn't go forward, but we're going to anyways. And it just and and like again, it this is just an, uh, such uncharted territory. Well, it is for, because, for you know, everybody. You know, those of us who have been around. I mean, we remember the big stock market and crash in '08. We remember SARS, but there always used to be something that there also be used to be some sort of containment. Yeah, you know, it's going yeah. to be contained or distance or, or whatever. Or it's the yeah, market, yeah, the market yeah, just yeah. hanging in there. It's going to turn around. Well, you've got this thing out there that that's affecting the way people go about their business, their travel, their sickness, their health, their ability to travel, get somewhere, do their job. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. So um, a a very serious situation. And I guess another one is, uh, from a Canuck perspective, uh, do they have the cojones to finish this thing out and Stay above the playoff bar. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Uh, Good segue there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny. Health, it all, yeah, yeah, no, it almost seems. Wealth. Yeah, no, it almost seems trivial. Know. You know, when you, but, but yeah, that's why we're here. And while they're still playing the games and keeping score, that's that that that's kind of the issue. I I, I don't know. They, they they didn't inspire a lot of confidence in me that that last home game, and it's it's got nothing to do with effort or or firepower personnel it's just they they just give up way too many scoring chances they're just they, they just don't know how to lock it down in their own end they spend too much time defending i mean that islanders team is middling at best and they they gave up 49 shots and if they would have pressed the issue in overtime that number probably would have been 53 54 55 um it's kind of the same formula uh they were using when jacob markstrom was around and he masked those warts. Thatcher Debco, bless him. He he's doing his best, and he was outstanding last night. But but they're just putting so much pressure on their goalie. I just don't know if it's sustainable. Well, there was nothing quite like being on that last road trip. And um, first, it was the uh, infamous Jacob Markstrom maintenance day, uh, which dovetailed into um, curiosity <laughs> radar up, and uh, working with some sources to find out that it is indeed a knee injury. And uh, probably a meniscus problem, although he is skating now. And, and this kind of dovetails into everything that we thought it might be, that Markstrom tried to play through it. And sometimes the wear and tear, you get a small meniscus tear, it locks up. I mean, why would Jacob Markstrom travel with the Canucks on a four-game road trip if he wasn't 
thought it was good to go. It's not like it was something else. So um, then we're left with the Thatcher-Demko situation where I was, I guess, I was actually shocked. I mean, he, he, he did everything he could in the Montreal game. 37 saves. They found a way to win that game in overtime. Maybe they were a little bit fortunate. But now it's you're the guy. You're the guy, everyday guy. And for such an engaging, cerebral, Boston College psychology major guy, he had the yips on that on that trip and was really, I don't know, second-guessing himself. I just think we don't understand sometimes what it is to be the guy. And, you know, I was talking to Corey Hirsch about it at one point on that trip, and he said, you know, the last thing you want to do in that position is overthink the position, is that you have to play on instinct. And uh, to his credit, I thought Demko was better in the Islander game, but let's not kid ourselves. I mean, uh, probably have a back-to-back situation that he's, where he's going to play both games here. He's going to be the guy. I don't know how far Markstrom is away. He's starting to skate, so maybe a week or 10 days. I mean, that would be that four-week window that you can come back and play after a slight meniscus tear. This is what Jonathan Quick did a year ago with the Kings. So that's there. But, boy, you know, it's funny. You know, winning winning solves everything. Losing exposes all the ugly things. You talked about the inability to defend. And when Markstrom has eight starts of 40-plus shots and he goes 7-0-1 and steals how many points? No, you know, you don't really realize that until now. And now they're in this pickle uh, of having to play a guy every night. And, and really, if you think about Demko's body of work is minimal at this level. And that just adds another layer to him because I, I find him really kind of almost living in the moment and just trying to get to the next game. I like the way he battled, though, in that game against the Islanders because, I mean, you know, it, it's a minute and a half and they're already down one buzz and it's a deflection and it's kind of a disaster in front of them. The five on three. And, yeah, three. yeah. And, and um, but he did, you know, like he hung in there and he made, he, he, God, he must have made six, just five alarm stops. Some of the goals, yeah, and you still look at the save percentage overall and go like it's below the league average. And I don't think last night brought it up. This is Wednesday where we're taping that, so we're talking about the Tuesday night game. But uh, that's kind of he. I kind of liken where he is in his development to a guy like Carter Hart. Mm. Remember, like he came yeah. in with all the credentials in Philly, and they they sort of you know it's an imperfect analogy, but they kind of threw him in there and. The Carter Hart this year, especially the second half of this season, pretty close to an elite NHL goalie. Um, uh, Demko, kind of, you know, similar credentials, you know, good career at Boston College, couple of years yeah. in the minors, came up, you know, that kind of blue chip goaltending prospect. But it is, it's different. It's different when you don't have the safety net. It's different when you're the guy when you don't have that body of work behind you. Just a t- completely different ball game. I think in the long run, this is going to help him. I think it might even, you know, accelerate his development a bit because he's got the tools. It, it, it just, um, it's. Just such a complicated I think position. The biggest, the biggest value here is the goalie whisper in, in Ian yeah, Clark. Fair where, enough. Yeah, fair enough. Thatcher Demko talked about a loss on that road trip, and he said, I actually feel pretty good because he sees some technical improvements in his game. I mean, we tend to look at big goalies and we go, okay, is he square? Uh, is he sealing up the short side? Is he going on his knees and throwing up the chicken wing, thinking you know you can stop a puck up high? Is he sealing the short side? The Kind of the basic technical stuff we look at when we – cover a game. But Ian Clark, of course, takes us to a whole sure. different science where it's not just the technical stuff. It's getting inside the guy's head. So uh, I don't know what they have within the organization for Purple Hearts or whatever, but if if he gets Demko dialed in and he gets a difference in terms of getting them to the postseason, 
You might want to put some zeros on that check. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a great point. So, what, so what do you think? Do, do, do you think they have the the stuff to I'm, to get this over the line? I'm going to stick by what I said at the start of the year. I thought they would fall just short, yep. three or four points short, because I didn't think they defended very well, even last year. I mean, job one and one A was let's improve the top six, and we got to do something with our defense. And guess what? They're in another situation here where they're going to have to take a hard look at what they're going to do in the off season. You've got Stetcher as an RFA. I think they have to look at other things there. Chris Tanev got hurt in the Islander game. We're not sure if he's going to be on this trip. Um, you know, I always look at Chris Tanev, who's tied for third and block shots in the league, that one day I'm going to be walking into Rogers Arena. He's going to be mopping the hallway. He's going to be with the organization forever. You know what I mean? But sooner or later, I mean, I think you got to make room for Rafferty, who was leading the American Hockey League and scoring by the – and I don't know – you know, the latest affliction with Yalevi is a hip, and, and that's never good when you're you're turning and you're, you're not great in transition. People I've talked to in Utica said, yeah, he's playing in all these different situations, but when he pivots to get back in his own zone, he's struggling. So uh, even with, regardless of that, I still think there's work to do on the back end. So um, they've I think they're, what we lose sight of in Vancouver is when you talk to people out east, and they look at the Canucks and they go, you know what? They're probably a year or two ahead of the curve right now mm. with the season they're having. That we didn't really expect this. And I thought the playoff bar might be 96 points and maybe they'd be around 92 or 93 or 94. Um, but having said that, I think my big thing was, okay, well, I'm challenging the team. Let's see how it responds. And for the most part, it's been great. But, boy, if you can't defend, you can play balls to the walls and all other ends of the rink. But if you can't do it in your own zone – that could keep them from the postseason. Yeah, I do. and I look at the teams chasing them oh. in the West and around that area, and can you like really look me in the eye and say they are demonstrably better than the Winnipeg Jets? No, I think the Jets are in. Yeah, I, I, I do too, but I think this get, that game Sunday is it's going to be the latest iteration of the, the game of the year for, for the Canucks. <laughs> but but I, think, I think that one will tell a story, as well. They've got two games against Arizona. Yeah. And it was funny. I remember doing a podcast probably in November, and they hadn't played the Coyotes to that point, thinking, you know, they would, would they get two points out of four? They got two overtime. Yeah, they got two overtime losses last, last year. year. Yeah. Uh, and that was really the difference between the two teams in the standings. They had no answer for Brad Richardson, <laughs> the whiskey drinker. <laughs> Look at it. So they've got two games. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, by rights, they're, you know, the, the, this, these are games they really have to win. If they win both these ones against Arizona and squeak something out against Winnipeg, and I'm starting to take them a little more seriously, yeah. but I, I've got to see it. I was hoping to see something a little more in that home stand and I, I really like the way they played the last two periods against Colorado when they allowed 15 shots and really took over the game but then the, to, to lose against that Columbus team that that was that that was a kick in the cojones I, I've uh, never yeah I've never I've been around the team for what 21 years and that game in Columbus at the end of a trip back mm, to back yeah 10 minutes left Got the feet up, ready to hit send, or ready to yeah, hit yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's the same way. It was beyond shocking when you have veteran players like Sutter and Roussel taking bad penalties and a total un unraveling of the team. Uh, and I, they better not look past the Yotes. I mean, when I, I looking at that game on Thursday night uh, in Glendale, you know, if they get Chikrin back soon, that defense isn't bad. You've got Taylor Hall. And you've got Clayton Keller, and you got Nick Schmaltz, and you and you've got some inter. You know, there's some interesting characters in that top six mix. I think it would be pretty dangerous to say. I, I hate to think the Canucks are looking past anybody these days. Yeah. 
but they better not look past uh, Thursday night thinking they've got a tougher matchup in Denver. Uh, that one is just sitting there, and uh, they better make the most of it. I guess in summation here, if they don't make the playoffs, Ed, you know, there's always that, well, somebody has to pay. And are we of the mind that because whether it's the price point or the ownership's belief that the GM is sending a message that he likes or a coach who's, again, affordable or knows some of these players from another movie, is the hockey ops department safe if they don't make the playoffs? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, you're looking at five straight years out of the playoffs under Jim Benning, and I I mean, to me, that's, that's the guy. Who, who would pay the price, but I agree with you. I, I think, you know, he, he does what ownership tells him and, and they like that. He goes out, he trades for JT Miller, he goes out, he gets Tyler to Foley. They love that. I, I just, uh, I it wouldn't, as the status quo wouldn't surprise me. Now, no, look, let's face it, nothing this organization yeah. would do would surprise you. The status quo wouldn't really surprise me. I just don't know, you know, I, like I said, five straight years out of the playoffs. Um, how you come back and and sell this one more time. You know, I'd hate to, and when I do look at the coaching staff, I'd hate to think that a guy who I've known forever and, and really admire in learning the craft and Nolan Baumgart, who's basically responsible for the back end, mm. might be in some sort of jeopardy here. If you have to make a change, I just think that kind of the narrative will be, you know what, we took a great stride this yeah, I year. Think so. I the think kids right. have gone to another level. We've got a Calder Trophy favorite here. We've got the best player acquired in a trade in JT Miller. Ty, we beat everybody to Tyler Toffoli, who has 27 goals, is going to score at least 30. Uh, there are a lot of positives to take away from this, and and I think that's going to be the narrative at the end of the year. As far as uh, the GM's concerned, I, I'm not sure. You know, there seems to be this uh, feeling that you've got Jim Benning and you've got John Weisbrod, and then there's this divide, you know, when you get down to the scouting department and who's protecting who, who's, you know, it's almost like, you know, the Hatfields and McCoys, what's going on here? Uh, but I'm of the mind if if that comes to fruition that, I, th- I think the big cheeses. I, j- I think I don't think Travis is going anywhere. I wonder about the GM, and I just think that at the end of the day, like you said, when you miss five years, somebody has to pay. Yeah, I, 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 I and I tend to agree with your overall take about yeah. the playoff hopes. I just think I think that first week in April, we're going to be looking at those two games against Columbus. Uh, the game in Ottawa and then the game in, in Arizona, against Arizona yeah. here where they blow a 2-1 lead in the third period. And I think we'll look at those. That's where they lost their playoff spot. Well, uh, we'll keep the hope up and we'll keep an eye on the uh, coronavirus and see if we still have the ability to do what we do. Thanks for listening. This will be up at the uh, uh, province, uh, province.com. Thanks for listening to the uh, White Towel Podcast. Ben Kuzma here with Ed Willis.